Everybody, welcome to uh, Church in the Valley. It's great to uh, see all of you today. Uh, it's been a couple weeks since I've been here, and I appreciate your prayers. Two weeks ago, I was uh, in bed with strep throat and wasn't actually able to speak, so I thought it wouldn't be helpful to any of you, especially considering I was still contagious. So I was looking out for all of you. Uh, but two weeks ago, I was doing a lot worse than I am now, uh, but I'm all better. And then last week, I was speaking at our campus uh, in Diamond Bar as Randy uh, was here. And so it's good to be back with all of you. And today we are launching a new series that you can see up here called God and Politics. And when I was growing up, I grew up with parents that kind of always made sure we were aware of like what you're supposed to talk about and what you're no, not supposed to talk about in different functions. And growing up, it was like, be careful as you talk about religion and talk about politics, except for those people that you're close to or, you know, your close friends, your, your close family. Well, here at church next week, we're actually going to talk about both. And the reason that is, is that there's actually a lot of helpful things that can come from talking about uh, where does God fit in this political landscape and in an election year and all the things that are going on in our media and all the things that are going on in our culture. And how do we make sense of what God is doing in the midst of all this? And so. What I found in my own life is my view of God greatly impacts everything else in my life, including the area of who I vote for, the area of what I consume and where I get my information and and all sorts of things. And so we're going to be looking at how our view of God directly impacts our role in politics, our view in politics. And you may be here and, and you may be thinking, is this going to be like a sit in, you know, by political party? Um, no, and this actually is not supposed to be an endorsement of any specific uh, candidate. That's not the goal of this series. Over the next four weeks, we actually want to kind of look beyond uh, the specific people in the election and look more to what, what are the, the, the principles that should be guiding us as we, we navigate. And a lot of that is how we exercise our vote, and we're going to be talking about that. And there's other parts of it are how we think, our attitude. And then another aspect is how do we uh, relate to others uh, in this season of time? And if, if you might realize, there's all sorts of emotion that comes at this time of year. Anyone kind of experienced the, you know, or seen the emotion of politics? Or is it all just completely rational? <laughs> right? It's, it's not. And so there's just easy to get swept up in the emotion of the time in which we live. And so we're going to kind of look above the emotion. We're going to try to figure out actually how to think in a way that that lines up with God and his view of what's going on right now uh, with what we're facing. And so I want to just give you a glimpse of where we're going to be headed the next few weeks. One, so you know kind of what we're going to be covering. And two, uh, there there just may be a week that you think, you know, it'd be good for me to invite a family member uh, or a friend to it. And so I just want to walk through uh, where we're going to be headed. Today, we're talking about one hope And in an election season where you place your hope determines a lot of how you act, a lot of the decisions you make, a lot of how you feel. And so we're going to talk about uh, the hope that we have in God as you follow him. If you're a follower of Christ, there's a tremendous amount of hope that you have. And that really does determine a lot of what we think about during this time of year. Uh, Next week, we're going to talk about one foundation or foundation. And we're going to talk about how democracies do well when they're actually grounded in transcendent laws and and truth. 
And there is actually a tide in history that when when a country loses its moral compass, uh, things begin to actually unravel. And so we're going to talk about the foundation of God and how does that fit into the design and place of of a country. Uh, The third week, we're going to talk about our privilege. And that's actually about the, the right to vote. And how voting is something that is a privilege and how God wants Christians to exercise their vote in a way that that influences things in the ways that that makes him happy in the ways that lines up with his view of things. And then week four after the vote, this is just a practical message of what do you do when you are really pumped for your candidate and you you maybe even Gave some money, you wore a t-shirt, you had a sticker, and they don't win. What do you do? You know, recently I've been seeing just posts like, if this person gets in, I'm moving to Canada. Like, really? Like, wow, that's, that's a lot of stress. So, I mean, that's one option. We won't be talking about that. But we'll be talking about, actually, what do you do? Uh, how, how do you talk and think? In spite of the fact that maybe the guy that you were rallying behind or the woman you were rallying behind didn't, didn't actually win. And so after the vote, so after all this is done, what, what, what do we do? And so this is a, a particularly critical time uh, for, for all of us because what it does during this time of year, it really does reveal a lot about ourselves. And an election year is always, 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 always about others, it seems like. What other people say, what other people do. But this is a good opportunity for us to actually look at us, what we think, what goes on in our brain, what's going on in our heart, and ultimately what leads us to do the things that that we do. And so I'm glad you're here. I think this is going to be a a fun journey together. And again, this is the type of thing that we want to just see God's view of this, take some of the emotion out, and then ask him, what what is really that, that makes you happy and how do we please you during this season of, of life. I want to uh, share a quote with you from uh, Justice uh, Scalia, who just passed uh, recently. And there was kind of a wave of, of a lot of hopelessness as, as he died, because many people uh, valued him as a justice. They appreciated his, his views, his conservatism. He was a devout Roman Catholic. And many just were thinking, okay, well, what's going to happen now? And there was a sense of, of loss. And certainly there was a loss of what that looks like in our, our government structure. But he, he made a quote, and he said this, that I think is helpful perspective for kind of what this series is about. And, and this is what he said. He says, I attack ideas. I don't attack people. And some very good people have some very bad ideas. And if you can't separate the two, you got to get another day job. The reason I say that is ultimately when we talk about politics, oftentimes what comes to our head is a picture of somebody who we want to win or who we don't. And it can become very personal to us. What Justice Scalia is saying here is very important. There's a sense in which you actually have to look at what the ideas are, take them to their logical conclusion, and you can do that without attacking people. So this series isn't about attacking any candidate. But it's actually looking at ideas and specifically not just ideas that we have in our government, in our society, but what are the ideas found in Scripture of how to handle ourselves? And we really want to we want to look at those. So I just wanted to share that uh, just as some perspective for you. 
As we kick off the series, though, it wouldn't be fair to just talk about this without actually getting into the realm of fear. Because what election time brings up usually is you may be afraid of things, but then an election comes and they're going to remind you all the different candidates of all the things that you should be afraid of that you maybe forgot about or you never even thought of. And an election year is really about let's just talk about all the things that are going to freak us out in life and let's run ads about it. And you're sitting at home and you're just trying to like figure out your life. Okay, I got the work project and okay, the kids, I got to make sure they get to the, their their to practice and okay church i've got this going on this sunday and then all of a sudden you know you read an article you follow something on twitter you watch something on the news and all of a sudden the fear within you they they get you it doesn't matter what party or what candidate there's this this sense of fear that kind of comes up this time of year uh there's a study that chapman university did on the domains of fear that americans face i want to show this to you on the screen even that picture kind of st- stresses me out. Like the bottom part, you just got like a, I don't know if you see it, a, a yellow mushroom cloud. Like just in case you weren't freaked out, there's explosions. Okay. Uh, but you got crime. That's, that's a domain of fear, personal anxieties. Like these are what people are like tight spaces, public speaking, clowns, vaccines. Like what if a politician just decided I'm, I'm just going to run on the clown ticket. You hope for that guy. There's going to be clowns coming out everywhere. Your closet at home at night. Judgment of others. We're fearful of appearance, weight, age, race, gender identity, environment, global warming, overpopulation, pollution, daily life, romantic rejection, ridicule, talking to strangers, technology, artificial intelligence, robots, cyber terrorism. Like what if a president just came up and there was like a robot and he's like, this is going to be my VP. Some of you are like, I would totally vote for that guy. (laughs) All right. Natural disasters, earthquakes, droughts, floods, personal future, dying, illness, running out of money, unemployment, man-made disasters, biowarfare, terrorism, nuclear attacks, government, government corruption, drones, gun control, immigration issues. Raise your hand. Have you seen any politicians talking about any of these? (laughs) Right? Fear. Because here's the part that happens during this type of fear. You've got to know you're fearful. In fact, you have to know that you're full of fear. Why? Because you need to vote for somebody that will take your fear away. That's what politics is. Recognize your fear and then vote for the person that will, quote unquote, take your fear away. That's how it works. And so we have to recognize that this is going on in all of us. It is. And this impacts us. This makes us emotional. This freaks us out. All of these. And so I just want to give a sample of what are some of the platforms that the candidates, the leading candidates, are coming with to kind of address some of these fears. Now, this is like in no particular order. Did everyone hear that? This is in no particular order. And if I go quicker on one than another, that actually doesn't say anything either. Okay? This is just a sample of the leading candidates. Okay, here's one. Let's start with uh, Marco Rubio. A new American century. Uh, Here's something that, that he 
quoted on, this is all found on their website. Okay. Build a full spectrum force able to maintain security simultaneously in Europe, Asia, and the Middle East. Is that addressing a fear? Yeah. Okay. Donald Trump. Make America great again. This is his quote on his website. I will be the greatest job producing president in American history. Does that represent a fear? Sure. Unemployment, right? The economy. Bernie Sanders. Expanding possibilities. We need to make sure that certain types of guns exclusively used to kill people, not for hunting, should not be sold in America. Is he addressing fears? Yeah, gun control, violence, crime. And then Hillary Clinton. Ready for Hillary. This is something she says. Future generations will look back and wonder, what were we thinking? How could we possibly be so irresponsible? I'm just a grandmother with two eyes and a brain, and I know what's happening in the world is going to have a big effect on my daughter and especially on my granddaughter. And this, he's actually talking about the environment. That's the context. But she's tying it to fear as well. Like, what are we doing? The decisions we make right now are impacting generations. And so this is all calculated. Millions and 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 millions of dollars are put into campaigns to identify the fears that we have the most and then given strategies for how people will solve those fears and take care of these problems. And I'm actually not saying that's a bad thing because what can, you know, do you want to follow candidates? That's like vote for me. This is all going in the trash, but I'll be there long for the ride, (laughs) right? Like you're kind of like, ah, I don't really want to go to the trash. Like that doesn't sound promising, right? So there's a part in which we do need people that can fix problems that we have. And that's good. But you have to identify the fears that you have. I have to address the fears that I have for me to make sense of what are the things that I react to and what are the things that are important to me? What are the things that aren't important to me? Because all that impacts our relationship with God and our relationship with others. It does. And so I just want you to just real briefly in your head, think about what are your biggest fears right now as you think about the election? Just think about that. Ten seconds. What are your biggest fears right now as you think about the election? Now, the challenge for you, the rest of the service is not to freak yourself out. Right? Because when you start thinking about it, you start. It's really easy to just kind of go down that spiral. But this is actually not unique. Any election that we've ever faced as a country, other countries have faced. And this is actually not even unique to the biblical times and what you see in Scripture. In fact, there's just story after story after story of times where leadership of Israel found in the Old Testament and leadership of the early church found in the New Testament. There's always these, these parts in which things were not nailed down. Things were unknown and 
leadership was sparse and there were some corrupt leaders and all sorts of things were happening. And so when you dig into the scriptures, you actually find perspective that historically, because it happened, but also because it's God's truth that can really help us. And so I want to take some time to look at that despite the fears that we have, despite the things that we're concerned about, we have an opportunity as you follow God, as you follow the Lord Jesus, to put your hope in him. And what you find in scriptures is as you put your hope in God, you're actually putting your hope in somebody that always keeps their promises. I want to share this psalm because it's great perspective in light of this season that we're in. Psalm 146 says this, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. So there's a sense in all the things that we're facing as a country, a Christ follower is somebody that is supposed to act and think in a way of somebody who has hope. And the call of this psalm is this reminder to praise the Lord. It's to fix your focus on God, not on the unknown, not on the fears, but on him. And then the last part serves as a warning that man-made authority or man-made leadership is limited because this person cannot actually save you. That's what it means for salvation. So there's a category that you see where God is actually over and above and in control of all that's happening. And we have to fix our attention and our thoughts on him, no matter what they are. And so I want to just kind of unpack this, and we're going to go a little bit further in this psalm. But you see this first initial warning in in verse 3. Put not your trust in princes in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. The psalm goes on to explain this further. What you find is that presidents and politicians, they, they come and go. It's true. They're in leadership for a time, and then they're not. They have authority for a time, and then they don't. And so there's this brevity that is true of all of us, no matter how high your leadership or how important your authority, that it's limited. It's based in time. It's finite. And the scriptures go on in in verse 3 and 4, and I just read 3, but put not your trust in princes and a son of man in whom there is no salvation. Then check this out in verse 4. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth on that very day. His plans perish. It's very interesting. Because it's talking about not only the brevity of life, but somebody who has amazing plans and amazing ideas as soon as their life is taken. It's finished. It's done. And so you really see that there's this limit to power and to authority. Because God has separated man from himself. And what you find is that is actually a very, very hopeful thing. Because if presidents and politicians come and go, then you need to figure out where you're going to place your hope. What the psalm is encouraging is, again, you have to praise the Lord, the one that is always there and is never changing. 
And then it, it goes on further. God keeps every promise forever. So if a politician and a president is limited and when they die, their plans are done. Then you need to look for the alternative and that that is God. God keeps every promise forever. Uh, verse five says this blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith uh, forever. A different version of this, the New Living Translation says this. It says, he made heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He keeps every promise forever. This is the scripture's way of saying this is God's platform. This is what gives him authority. This is what gives him credibility. And this is at the same time is what gives us hope. I don't you know, know if you remember. Did you grow up in a school where they had like student government, like elections, like even in an elementary school? And when I was in elementary school, like the fifth and sixth graders got to run for like office. So this was like my first taste of like politics. Well, American politics. I grew up in England where I just thought politics, you just shout at each other. You just cut each other real deep. And then like the worse it is, the more of the insult, the better it is. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Good job, you know, okay. It's a little sidetrack right there, but. So this was my first taste, and I remember these, these kids, fifth and sixth graders, would come up and say, if I'm voted student body president, we'll have free snack bars everywhere. <laughs> they step back in the crowd. We just go nuts, like, yeah, like, you know what, we'll vote. And then the, other, the next day it comes. If I'm voted student body president, we're going to have a swimming pool. You know, here's, and what I realized, I was like, this is great. But even I think at the time I was second, you know, third grade, I'm looking at these guys. I'm like, I don't think this is going to happen. <laughs> I remember thinking like, like a vending machine, you just press it and like Oreos come out. Like how, like how do you keep stocking that? I remember just thinking like, this doesn't make any sense, but I'm cheering. What am I going to do? Like I abstain. I'm not casting my vote. I want somebody that's credible and practical. No, I was just getting fired up. But did you know nothing happened? <laughs> nothing. But we voted somebody in and it was a great rah-rah time. But it was, it was just these like promises. And the more like outlandish, the better chance they had. And that's like tends to be our experience. Like we just hold on to the promises of politicians. And sometimes you just think, well, can that even happen? And I don't know. And I'm all for presidential nominees and presidents that get in power and keep the promises they make if that's pleasing to the Lord. If they can actually follow through with what they say and keep their word, that is a noble thing. But so many times this, this season is, is just built on just promises. Some of which just seem empty. But the scriptures are saying is you have God. He keeps every promise forever. There's nobody that compares to him. 
And then the last part you see in this psalm is equally important. And that is that Christ followers trust God for our well-being, not government. If what the psalm is saying is true about God, then this is the natural response. If he's worthy of praise, and he's eternal, he's always been, and if he keeps every promise forever, then shouldn't we trust him for our well-being? If in comparison to man, no one can do that. So you just take this as being true. And that's why, again, our view of God and how we see him directly impacts our view of politics. You can't have a view of God that this is true and at the same time place your hope in the next president. It doesn't mean that we, want, we don't want a good president, a noble president, a strong president, a leader. It doesn't mean that. But the issue is hope. Christ followers, they place their hope in God and God alone. It's a very important uh, distinction. And so for me, that's helpful. I have to take a step back and I actually have to think about that and I have to chew on that. Does my views right now in my life and the things that I'm concerned about, does it represent this truth? Meaning my view of God, does it actually cause me to not be as stressed out? freaked out, fearful. What's my attitude? And that's so important to all of us. Based on how we feel right now about the elections, that reveals what's important to you. And the psalm is saying, praise the Lord. Fix your attention on him. There is no one like him. He is who we should place our trust in. But I, I want to, to kind of go a, a little bit step further. I've, I've talked about the domains of fear. And all of us, we, we have that to, to some degree. But there's another realm of concern that we face during any election. And that's the question of what if everything is to get worse? I don't know if you've asked that, but I've asked that. That's what I think about. What if everything I currently know is true and I experience in this country, what if everything was to get worse? And that's the question of what really am I afraid of? And I want to ask you that too. And there may be varying degrees of how kind of in tune you are in politics or how much you even care about politics, but this is true of life really. When it comes down to what you're concerned about and what you're stressful of, the question behind that is what are you actually afraid of? Like, what's the worst that can happen? And so some of the questions I've been asking myself is like, what am I really afraid of? These are some of the things I came up with. What if my freedoms are taken away? That's something that I've wondered. What if the freedoms that I currently have are taken away? What if life gets harder? That one cuts to it, too, because there's a sense in which, okay, I don't care what the election happens, or you may not care about what happens with the president. You may not even care that much about kind of where we're headed in the near future, but we tend to care if it makes our life harder. 
We get concerned about that. Uh, If you're a parent or you'd like to have kids, I hear this a lot too. What will things be like for my kids? Like you have an experience of what it was like growing up. What will it be like for your kids? What will it be like for their kids? That's really where we kind of get to this sense of what is it that we're afraid of? And what you find at the core of that is we have tremendous amounts of blessing of being in this country. And we have a tremendous amount of freedom. And for the most part, I'm sure we've had pretty positive experiences growing up in America if you grew up here. But did you know that that actually is not promised to us from God? Despite how positive our experience is, things could actually get worse. Things could go downhill. You could have less freedoms. And yes, it could be worse for your kids and it could be worse for their kids. Okay, you freaked out yet? The reason I bring this up is you actually have to, as a Christ follower, get to the point where you realize what is it that you're really afraid of. And that's exactly where you have to meet God there. There's a lot of times the separation where it's, okay, God, you're in control, you're in control. But there's some things deep within our hearts that we're freaked out about, the unknown. And we don't meet God there. We're just kind of holding on to it ourselves. And so we have an opportunity to ask the question, what is it that I'm really afraid of? And then face that worst thing, whatever it is. And that's what you find in Scripture. And that's the side that you will trust God even if the worst happens. This isn't just true of politics. This is actually true of life. You live life and and you realize the older you get, oftentimes how little control you have. It's true. No matter how hard you try, you have little control of a lot of what happens. You can control your attitude. You can control what you do when it does happen. You can control what you think about. There's so much that happens that you actually can't control. And the same is true right now as we face an election. So you have to get to the point where you recognize what's the worst that you could imagine and then decide that you'll trust God even there. The good news is, though, is again and again in Scripture, we've been given an example of this. As you read the Old Testament, the Israelites, the, the God's people, whom you think would be just protected more than anyone, face tremendous amount of hardship related to government, countries, opposing leaders, foreign uh, rule, slavery. They had, I mean, it, it was terrible. But what you find is as you, you read these circumstances that they were in, They have to choose, just like we have to choose, of what are we going to put our hope in. Despite all these things which aren't ideal. And despite things that we may be fearful might happen. And I want to just, a quick snapshot as I I wrap up. And it's found in the transition 
of Moses who led the Israelites. He was the one that came into Egypt and took them out of Egypt so they could get to the promised land. But they ended up wandering in the desert for 40 years before they got there. So if you can imagine, so many of the generation had been in Egypt as slaves. And then as they got older, their kids maybe experienced some of Egypt, but then they experienced in their life just wandering in the desert with no real home. Just trying to survive. So tremendous, just, you could imagine, just this dark place. of Not ideal. And then Moses is, is about to die, and he's going to pass off the leadership of Israel to Joshua. And in Deuteronomy 31, if you've never read Deuteronomy, it's a great book. And especially the end, you see this kind of snapshot of this, this group of people that are having to trust God. And so in Deuteronomy 31, Moses is realizing that all these people are going to be entering the promised land. And this is what he says. Be strong and courageous. Do not be Uh, Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. The reason Moses is saying this is because he recognizes that they're going to the promised land, and that seems like like it could be a line. Like in my mind sometimes when I was younger, it's a promised land. Like you're not in the promised land, and then you're like, wow, the promised land's like the air is a little better water is a little cleaner that's how i used to think like okay they weren't in it and then they were but the promised land was something that they were going to actually have to take they're going to have to fight for because there are people that had taken the promised land from them and so they were going to be facing some battles they were going to be facing uh terrible journeys they were going to be facing this transition of leadership from moses who had led them in good and in bad to following Joshua, who they had not really followed in the same capacity before. So, so much unknown. Can you imagine just the, the word starts to get out? Oh, oh no. Moses is going to leave us. This is going to be it. What are we going to do? And the amount of despair. And I like that this word dread is used because that's really what we face a lot. Just dread. Like we don't want to face it. Dread's this idea of like, you don't even want to recognize that that feeling is there. It's just too hard. Moses is saying, you, know, you be strong, you be courageous. Do not fear or be in dread. And he gives the why. For it's the Lord your God who goes with you. He's not going to leave you or he's going to forsake you. That's the hope that we have. So despite the things that we may be fearful that we're going to face, the unknown, what we do have is the God who will not leave us and the God that will not forsake us. So as Christians, we have a tremendous responsibility to have hope. Why? It's not in any candidate or political party. Our hope is found in God. So our approach should be of a people that have hope. As we interact with people, we should be hopeful. Not in any man, but in God himself. Psalm 146.10 is the end of the psalm I shared earlier, and this is another promise. It says, The Lord will reign forever, your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. The reason I share that is that, again, is the response. A lot of times we fear, like, what is it going to be like for our kids? What is it going to be like for their kids? And you can just feel this tremendous amount of despair. 
of unknown. Like, what's the place that we're leaving? But again, God is tied to generations. And he goes on. Your God owes on to all generations. So this hope that we have in the Lord Jesus as we follow him, as we pass this on to others, they can have the same hope. And as they pass it on to others, they can have the same hope. And you, you could find out this transcends any movement we could do in our country that any person or campaign could promise. This is the kingdom of God, which reigns forever. As I wrap up, I want to just encourage you practically in a few things. Because for me, this is truth, but at the same time, it's something that I have to remember. And so just some, some steps. Uh, as you face different things, when you feel hopeless, related to the election, maybe related to your life, related to just where you want things to be headed and they're not, and there's disappointment, here's, here's what I do. I, I have to pray and I have to ask God for help. When you have those hopeless thoughts and you're thinking things that is not true and they've not happened yet, you actually have to choose to think the right thing and you actually have to choose to not think the wrong thing. It's very proactive, the thought life. So when you feel hopeless and you start to feel that dread come, just you, you cry out to God, God, I just feel overwhelmed by all the unknown that I face in my life. And there's lots of things that I'm fearful of, and there's so many things that I'm concerned about that I can't control. God, you are my help, and you've promised in Deuteronomy 31 that you'll never leave me or forsake me. And so I claim that. God, help me to think the truth about my situation. I have to do that a lot. Sometimes it's like a moment-by-moment moment thing because those thoughts come. Another thing is as, as you're specifically like thinking in the election and you're like just looking at the media and the candidates and all this stuff. I don't know how much you've worried, but instead of worrying, what we can do is we can pray. And so I encourage you to pray for our country, pray for our, our leaders, pray for the future leaders of our country. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'd rather talk to God about it and ask him for his will to be done. Because I do have so little control. And so as you face that, you could, you could pray uh, and ask God. The last thing that's helpful for me is uh, as you face disappointment and maybe you hope that this person would become the next leader of our country and, you know, you're concerned that that's not going to happen. In Scripture, there's a, there's a weapon that we use to fight the enemy. And that's called the shield of faith. And faith is the recognition that God is in control and he will not rip me off. That's saying, you know, God's going to take care of me. And he's going to take care of his purposes. Therefore, why maybe freaking out a little bit. He's going to take care because he's in control. So that that shield of faith is what what protects you. So I just wanted to, to just encourage you to you know, this is the kind of thing that you're going to have to fight for. In this season of the election and, and out of it, too, as you face just everyday life. So I wanted to encourage you to do that. As I close up, I want to invite the, the band uh, to come up. And uh, there's some next steps, which uh, basically are just what I shared, which is pray. 
and then attend uh, the, the rest of this series. And so I hope uh, you can do both of those, and I encourage you to do both of those. And I'm going to pray, and then the band's going to lead us in another song as we uh, receive our offering. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you that we can, in the current events that we face, uh, and even in an election year, we, you're relevant, and you actually belong in the forefront of our mind uh, more than anything else. And so, God, thank you that as we make you bigger and as we recognize who you are, our concerns and our fears actually do become smaller. And you will not rip us off as we choose to follow you. So, God, help us to act like people who have hope. And, God, if there's anyone here that hasn't chosen to put their hope in you, God, I pray that you'll really soften their heart and allow them to realize that they can make that decision here and now and choose to follow you. So, God, we, we do thank you for what you've done in the past through the generations before us. And we thank you for your faithfulness here and now and also with the generations to come. So we praise your name and we lift you up higher than any other. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen.